Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ask Dr. Death podcast with your hosts, Dr. Karen Wyatt and Dr. Terry Daniel. This is the place to ask the tough questions about tough topics related to death, dying, and grieving. Here you'll find candid conversations about things that aren't normally discussed in polite society. If you have questions for your doctor, your grief counselor, your professor, your pastor, or your guru, we'll try to tackle it for you. Our interview guests include experts in a wide range of disciplines related to death, dying, and bereavement, including doctors, counselors, psychic mediums, scientists, shamans, and even people who are themselves facing imminent death. Got a question you'd like us to address? Send an email to askdrdeath at gmail.com, and we'll try to tackle it in an upcoming episode. So without further ado, since we're all living on borrowed time, let's get started. So hello, everybody. I am Dr. Terry Daniel, and this is the Ask Dr. Death podcast. And I'm very excited today to be bringing in a new friend, somebody that I've recently met, Johanna Lunn, who is an award-winning filmmaker who just produced a really interesting documentary that I think you guys are going to really like. And the title of the documentary is In the Realm of Death and Dreaming. So it's right in line with what we're doing. And uh, Johanna runs a project called When You Die, and I think that's pretty much all I'm going to say for an introduction. I'm just going to let Johanna introduce herself. So, so tell us a little bit about your story and what you do. Sure, sure. Um, well, I've been in the media business my whole uh, professional career, but I'm, I'm also a longtime meditator and I guess you could say a longtime griever, having uh, lost my mother at a young age. And uh, then my best friend and was in a fatal car crash all within three years. Mm. So death and dying have been something that had been part of my life um, really since then. And I would say the other side of, of that is um, that my first job out of university was to do research on a film for possible film for PBS on death and dying in the context of community. And this gave me a chance to actually go out and meet some of the early death pioneers. Um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was on her deathbed pretty much at that point, um, but was able to uh, meet a lot of people that were working with her at that time and Stephen Levine and, and others. Um, we put together a wonderful proposal and PBS said, wow, this is great. They said, but you know what? It's really still too taboo. And so my whole well, what year was that? When uh, it was still that was taboo. 79. Oh, yeah, it was definitely taboo in 79. It was definitely taboo. Yeah. Um, so that kind of project has always been in the back of my mind for a long, 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 long time. You know, kind of fast forward to five years ago, and I was casting around for what my next project would be. And I was talking to a dear friend of mine and she said, well, what do you got? And I said, well, I got this. No, no, no. What do you got? And I said, no, well, what about this? And she's saying, no, no, no. And she said, come on, Johanna, you got to have something else. And I went, well, there's this project around death and dying. She said, that's it. That's it. And so, you know, it's kind of a long arc in my life. So that was the birth of the When You Die project. And the When You Die Project is um, a resource-rich 
website. We're a very active social media platforms. We do podcasts. We try to put out a fair amount of original material, but more than anything, we think of ourselves as a resource center and kind of a clearinghouse where people come and they start to formulate questions they never knew they had before. And I think that that's successful to us. And it was meant to help support a one-off documentary also called When You Die. And as I researched and was out interviewing people, you know, all of a sudden I had, you know, 19 interviews and I was like, wow, this isn't one documentary. And it turned into, you know, a four part in When You Die, I, we could call it a series. Right now, each one is being released individually. Each one stands alone. But later on, when they're all done, they will be packaged together for educational purposes or whatever. Um, so um, that's, that's kind of where we're at now with, with uh, In the Realm just being completed and uh, making its way out into the world. So is that the first of four? It is the first of four. I see. Do you know what the other three are going to be? I do. I do. And we hope to have the next two out. Well, all depends on COVID and my ability to be in the edit suite with my editor. Yeah. Um, but uh, we think by the end of the year, the next two will come out and early next year, the third one will come out. And because I'm in the middle of editing them, actually, I'm editing all three of them right now at the same time, and then we'll polish the, the second two. Um, little bit reluctant to, to, to say exactly what it'll be, but um, I'll give you a sense of the arc. Um, one will be called the architecture of death, and that's looking at how the mind and the body die. And it touches on the con family constellation as all of that is happening. And you have all that footage already? Everything's been filmed? Yes, I think I'll probably do some pickup interviews because mm -hmm. I feel a few things are probably missing, but I'll have a better handle on that the, the more I'm yeah. in the edit suite. Um, there's certainly, I feel like, especially around family of const you know, constellation, there's a wow, a whole wealth of material that hasn't been talked about. And uh, so, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's so this is this is great. This is, you know, right in line with the work that we do at the Afterlife Conference. And of course, many of the people that you uh, interviewed in the first film, which I have seen, are people that we work with all the time. And um, everything that you talked about, I don't know what's in the other three, but I can't wait to see. But everything in the first one, which I've seen, is, uh, you know, right in line with where the culture has gone in I would say the last 20 years. And that was about the time when Elizabeth Kubler-Ross stopped working. Um, well, I, I don't know exactly when she died, but you know, the very last work she did in her life was working with dying children. And not a lot of people know that. And there was a video made called, We're Almost Home Now. And it was just her talking to kids in the hospital who were dying, who were drawing pictures of themselves flying up in the sky in a rainbow and saying things like, I can't talk to mommy and daddy about this because it makes them so sad. And that, that was the last little piece of her work that nobody saw. And it's interesting to see, you know, where the whole grief counseling community is going because we don't use the stages of grief anymore. Yeah. And, um, 
but boy, if she sure contributed a lot, you know, when you think about how taboo it was in 1979, if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't be talking about it right now. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so we do have um, in our film, some of some people that your audience would know, like uh, Dr. Penny Sartori, who did her dissertation on near-death experiences and, Dr. Peter Fennick, or Fenwick, as he's known in America, uh, who also spent a huge part of his career as a neuropsychologist uh, studying the near-death phenomena and later deathbed experiences. Mm -hmm. He's probably not so well known for that, but he and his team really compiled a very comprehensive um, look at the stages that one could go through at end of life that includes, you know, the better known deathbed visitations and things like that, but a pretty, pretty beautiful and comprehensive look at that. Um, um, Dean Radin from the Noetic Institute. Yeah, I, you know, I really loved his uh, interviews in the film because he's really good at putting science with theory and experience of, of everybody I've ever heard talk about this. And I've heard them all because of the afterlife conference. He does that better than anybody. Yeah. And, and then he, and then he does and he goes, well, here's the science that you can look at on this, but we really don't know. Yeah. I mean, he keeps going back and saying that. And I respect that so much um, as opposed to people who approach this with absolutism, you know, we know consciousness can exist outside of the body after death and even at various times during life, but we can't say for absolutely certain that everybody goes through a tunnel of light and is greeted by loving beings or that everybody, you know, that it's always loving and positive. You know, we just don't know. So all we can do, and that's what science does, of course, it says, yeah, here's some evidence we're looking at, but evidence isn't proof. There's a difference. That's right. That's right. For the sort of, from a very quantitative materialistic point of view, for the same reason, you know, that you can't prove that consciousness continues, you also can't prove it doesn't. Right. You know? and, and there's more the evidence. The coin that kind of does get missed, like you're saying. Yeah, there's actually way more evidence that it does than that it doesn't. We have zero evidence that consciousness disappears after death. Right. Zero. Right. But we've got tons of stories that are very, you know, evidential and verifiable that say that it does. So, you know, my challenge would be, give me some evidence that says that there's nothing after death. Nobody can produce that. Right, right. Well, I think the thing I always come back to is that there is nothing, I mean, nothing in the natural world that ceases to exist. Mm -hmm. Everything transforms. Right, right. Everything exactly. transforms. So why would it be any difference? And, and I think, you know, the reason in the realm of death and dreaming is the first film is because I really want people to ask that question. You know, what happens when you die? Because it informs how you live. Right, exactly. You know, and it, and it also informs how you want to be cared for at the end of your life. Yes. And, I, and before we start talking about end of life, I wanted to go back to what you just said about how nothing ever dies. I think I'm not 
a scientist or a physicist by any means, but I think that's there's actually a name for that in physics, and I think that's the law of conservation of energy. And uh, there was a book by a guy named David Stom called The Atheist Afterlife. And he talks about that. And he's like, you know, a car careens off a cliff and falls down and crashes and burns and the people in the car die. And all of that energy, the burning car, the rusting metal, the smoke, everything, and the bodies of the people become compost. Everything becomes compost. But the consciousness of the people, it, it just doesn't seem possible for it to stop. It just, it seems like it just, everything just goes into infinity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, I think the more people know this, the less afraid of death they're going to be. Oh, I yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. And, and I believe in some of your interviews, people talked about that. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that came up over and over and over again is, um, well, certainly near death experiencers say, you know, they're not as afraid of death now, even when it's been a horrible NDE. Yeah. But the people who hear their stories also feel that way. And, uh, you know, I think when I was first really going into this research and talking to lots of people who had NDEs and watching the endless numbers of YouTubes and all of that really fascinated, I, uh, you know, this very strange thing happened to me in that, that it's almost like there's some kind of a contact high that goes on. It's like something about just, you know, kind of invoking that greater consciousness brings it into your life. And I talked, you know, off camera with Penny Sartoria a lot about this. And she said, researching her book um, and all the NDE stories that she was around, she said that she just felt this huge blessing stream is how she talked about it, kind of coming into her life. and. Um, yeah, I mean, it is, it's almost like some kind of expanded view starts to happen and you feel better. I love that you called it a contact high, because that's a really good description of it. When you're talking about any deep spiritual or metaphysical thing, especially something like that, with someone who's been there, who's been to another dimension, you can just feel that vibrating on them and it, it vibrates on you too. It, yeah. it feels blissful. It takes you to a numinous state just talking about it yeah yeah really yeah what are some of the stories from your film can you tell us uh well you know we have uh two firsthand nde stories um but then also some stories that that clinicians like penny relate and i think one of the most i mean they're all interesting to me but a story that penny relates to in her original set of research is um a patient who was in hospital, who died, who was having an NDE, who, you know, kind of had an out-of-body experience and went out of the operating room, but before kind of hung out and saw what people were doing and uh, then went to another world, got kind of a pinky world. And uh, he met uh, his father, he met his mother-in-law and he met a character who uh, he felt like Jesus, but he didn't look like what Jesus should look like. And because everybody uh, knows what Jesus looked like, right? <laughs> oh, I know, I know. It's very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> uh, anyway, and then and then he, you know, came back. He he uh, came back into his body. It wasn't his time, and he correctly 
you know, identified all the people that were in the operating room, people he'd never seen that came into the room for the first time um, as well. And Penny knew because she was there. So she could corroborate everything that he had to say. And, um, but the most remarkable thing about this story was that he had um, palsy as a young child. And so mm -hmm. his hand was in a contracted position. His arm was in a contracted position. And it was for most of his life in this kind of position. And after his NDE, he has complete full range use and of, his, of his arm and his hand. And, and all of those muscles would have been, um, I've forgotten the name for that, but you know, stuck, if yeah, you will. The contractures, they're called. Yeah, so, and the doctors have no explanation for that. No explanation for that. Yeah. No explanation for that. There are and, so many stories like this where people have been healed of the, the illness. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Anita Morjani is probably the most famous one for that. But it is, it is so fascinating that to me, stories like that um, get us past the question of, well, does consciousness continue into how can the body do that? <laughs> well, you know, um, are, are, have you come across the work of Sam Parnia? Oh, yes. I've so, yeah, we've been trying to get him to speak at the Afterlife Conference for years, but I, I, I have tried every way under the sun to reach that guy and just... He's uh he's too too famous and he, and his work is extraordinary and he actually has changed the language and he doesn't call it near death experience he calls it after death experience because yeah. you are you are technically dead yeah. but I think it was I think it was um, Dean Radin in your film that was saying actually even when your brain is flatlined it's still on yeah. for a little while and um. So some of this activity could still be happening in your brain, but it doesn't explain the depth of those experiences and that even if your brain is still sort of sputtering out, it doesn't have all its functions when it's electrically dead. So right. it can't conjure up images. I, I don't know this for sure, but what Sam Parnia, he calls this now resuscitation medicine which is a new field, which is amazing. And he calls these after death experiences. Right. Be and because the definition, the definition of death has changed a lot. It used to be no respiration and no heartbeat, but now we can fake that with machines. So the definition has now become no brain activity. Right. Well, but, and that's interesting too. I actually saw two doctors, Sam Parnia being one as and another doctor at the, um, New York Academy of Science were holding a panel on this conversation. And they got into a very heated discussion about how dead is dead, mm -hmm. right? Like what, what's really dead? Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say it was pretty early in my research and it kind of blew my mind because I thought, don't we know what dead is? Because it leads to a whole lot of scary thoughts. We don't really know. You know, and we don't know anything about the brain, you know, I mean, we only recently realized that the brain still keeps going. Um, like Dean Radin was saying, you know, after it's flatlined. So, um, so tell us more. So how, how do people find you if they want to find okay. you? That's really well, important. You can find us on whenyoudie.org is our website. 
and there's a tab documentary and you can rent it right from the website. And if organizations and groups would like to host a screening, we would love, love, love to do that and get that out to, to people more. My whole aspiration for doing this project is that people come together and have conversations around this subject. That's the most important thing. So when groups can watch it together and then talk about it, that this is my happy spot. And I think it really betters our world to have more and more people. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters whether you're thinking about it. Yes, whether you're thinking at all. Yes. Um, well, I would have loved to have uh, shown this at the Afterlife Conference this year. But today is June 9th and the conference is June 24th and there's no place in the schedule for it. But we will definitely do something um, next year when we have all four parts of the film. Um, we'll combine that with some of the workshops and, and conferences and things that we do. So thank you, Johanna. This has really been wonderful. Is there anything else you want to add that we haven't touched um, oh gosh, I think I think we've touched a lot on on my project, and I just want to say how much um, Terry, I admire all that you've done with the Afterlife Conference because you brought so many interesting people together and furthered, you know, really helped to bring NDEs into the mainstream. And I just think that's such an important thing. So thank you so much for all that you do. Oh well, thank you. I think making a film is much harder than making a conference. So I am in awe of your work as well. And, you know, just, and it's beautiful. The film, I mean, the production's gorgeous. You did a beautiful job on it, so. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to the conference. I'm coming, I'm, I have a ticket. Oh, that's great, wonderful. Okay, well then I will be seeing you very soon. Uh, to all the listeners, we're still in COVID times right now. So everything's being done online. Uh, it is June 9th, 2021 at this moment. Hopefully these podcasts have a long lifespan and <laughs> people will be listening to them for years to come. And, uh, and thank you, Johanna and everybody else. You're listening to the Ask Dr. Death podcast with our guest Johanna Lunn and her wonderful film called In the Realm of Death and Dreaming. So you will find it. All the information will be in the show notes. And um, best of luck to you, Johanna. Great. And same to you. Bye, everybody. Bye.